So our, our scripture this morning comes from the book of Colossians. It is the lectionary reading for today. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Can we hear God's word to us together? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its, its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him to God the Father. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we hear your word. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask for the wisdom to understand it. Amen. All right, so last night, uh, my wife and her parents and I, we sat down and did one of my favorite traditions this time of year. We watched the greatest Christmas movie ever made. And understand, I'm a very serious critic when it comes to movies. If you follow me on Facebook, you know that. I take them very seriously. And the greatest Christmas movie ever made is not A Miracle on 34th Street. It's not It's a Wonderful Life. The greatest Christmas movie ever made has Scott Farkas, it has the Bumpus Hounds, and nobody in the traditional service could do this in the moment. They all realized it afterwards. If I say the first part of this line, I want to see if you can finish it. Fragile, somebody finish it. Come on. It must be Italian. There you go. Thank you. The greatest Christmas movie ever made is A Christmas Story. It's a fantastic movie, and I wanted to show you just a brief clip from it that's going to really give some insight into our passage from Colossians. So watch this. Oh, isn't that cute? That is the most precious thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he looks like a deranged Easter Bunny. Does not. He does too. He looks like a pink nightmare. Are you happy wearing that? Do you want to take it off? Okay, tell the kid take it off. All right, you'll only wear it when Aunt Clara does it. Go on and take it off. Take it off! <laughs> All right, so if you know the movie, Aunt Clara, as Ralphie narrates and says, is operating under the continued assumption that Ralphie is not only four years old, but is also a girl. So she makes him this pink bunny suit. He hates it for, for, for good reason. And they tell him, you only have to wear it when Aunt Clara comes around. Now, you know that you have gotten a gift like this at one point or another. It may not have been a pink bunny suit, but it's a gift that was well-intended. It was given with a lot of heart, and you smiled, and you said thank you, and then you put it in a drawer or on a shelf, or you did the unthinkable. Be honest. You put it in a bag, or you wrapped it, and you re-gifted it to someone. You know you've done that, and that's okay. You know, at Christmas time, what we are celebrating is the greatest gift in history. The gift of God himself coming to us 
to do for us what we could never do. And understand that Christmas time is not just one day. See, we we have it honestly a, a, a little backwards. Advent technically leads up to Christmas. And Christmas in the liturgical church calendar, it's not a one day event. It's actually an entire season. It goes until Epiphany. That's why you'll see the decorations up. Now, okay, I, I need to know. There are three kinds of people when it comes to Christmas decorations. How many of you are going home this afternoon to start taking decorations down? Be honest. N- nobody? Okay. How many of you are going to take them down at the end of the week at New Year's? Let's see. All right. And how many of you are just going to leave it up and turn it into an Easter tree? Because it's going to stay up for so Yeah, some of you will. That's all right. But Christmas is, it's, it's not a one and done kind of thing. And it was never intended to be so. Listen to the instructions that Paul gives us in the Galatians. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When we experience the new life that Christ gives us, when we encounter the presence of God, it should have such a profound impact on our lives and it should be so apparent to everyone around us that it is as if we have put on a garment and we wear it every day. At home, at work, in our neighborhoods, wherever we find ourselves, our lives are markedly and noticeably different because of that encounter. But my fear is that we too often treat Christ like the pink bunny suit, only putting it on when Aunt Clara comes to visit, only taking the time and having the intentionality to put on Christ once or twice a year or once or twice a week, or maybe only in certain circles, maybe only in places and settings in which it benefits us to put on Christ. When the reality is that Christmas should not be the only time of the year where we are generous. Christmas should not be the only time of the year that we're willing to forgive and reconcile. Christmas should not be the only time of the year where our hearts and our lives are tuned to the things of God. This should be every day of every week, of every month of the entire year. So how do we do this? How how do we make this a reality? How do we keep Christ from being like the pink bunny suit and putting on the shelf only when we need him. Our passage from Colossians, which I mentioned is the lectionary reading for today, I think gives us some wisdom in how we do that. First, from the beginning of that passage, we have to remember first and foremost that God has chosen you. If you haven't picked this up already, I come back to this concept in my sermons rather frequently because this concept, the concept of God choosing us, is one of the strongest themes throughout the scriptures. 
when you catch this, it helps reframe things for you in, in a good way because it did for me. Your and my salvation, it does not begin, it did not start or originate when I said a prayer of faith. Our salvation doesn't start with us or anything that we do. It starts with God. The scriptures tell us that Christ is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. It was God's plan the whole time. Jesus said no one can come to the father unless the spirit is drawing them. Paul says time and time again, you come because God has chosen you. God has drawn you. God has called you. Listen to what Paul writes here in Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Even the faith, the ability to come to God and pray and ask forgiveness and experience and open yourself to that relationship, that in itself is a gift from God. So when we look at salvation as a concept, we've got to take some of the focus off of us. Yes, There is a response that is required on our part. Yes, there is a moment where we put our faith and trust actively in Christ, but that's not where the whole thing begins. It starts and it ends with God. When we understand that, the whole thing gets reframed. Now, why is it so important continually to remember that God has chosen us? Two reasons. One, remembering that God has chosen you is what I believe will help motivate us to live into holiness and righteousness. It is the love of God, not the fear of punishment that drives us towards holiness. When Christianity, when the Christian faith moves from you better not to you don't have to anymore, that's when it has power. When it moves from you better not sin to God has given you the ability to resist sin, then the whole thing opens up. So remembering that God has chosen you is what will help you live into righteousness. Remembering that God has called you, that God loves you, that is what moves us forward in our relationship. But secondly, When you have your moments of failure, listen, as as Wesleyans, Wesleyan Christians, in other words, we're of the theology that John Wesley taught. Yes, we believe that through the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin. God gives us that power and that ability. So don't just say, well, I'm I'm just a sinner. I'm just going to give in. No, my friends, the Bible tells us that there's no temptation that's going to come upon us that's not common to all humanity and that God will always provide a way out. Paul also wrote in Romans that we are now under no obligation to obey what our sinful nature calls us to do. And yet we will at times choose what is wrong. We will at times violate that sacred relationship with God. But when you do, keep in mind that God not only knew about that moment ahead of time, God still chose you. That table that Jesus sat at and said, I have desired greatly to sit here and eat this meal with you, 
Judas was one of the ones who was invited. Don't ever forget that. So when you have your moments of failure, yes, we shouldn't. Yes, God has given us the ability. Yes, sin is offensive to God. But God's love is not diminished. God's desire for you is not changed. And God's call upon you is not rescinded. That's why as United Methodists, we don't re-baptize. Because in baptism, God claimed you as much as anything else. And we don't ever want to give the indication that God has unclaimed you. Because that doesn't happen. God has chosen you. And when you have your moments of failure, when you have your moment of choosing wrongly, remember that God knew about it and chose you ahead of time. And just a side note, when you start to feel like the worst Christian that's ever been, I can't speak for you, but I've felt that way at times. When you feel like you're just not getting it right ever, listen to the words of Paul the Apostle. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Paul says, I haven't arrived at that place yet. But I do focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. It is God's choosing. That is what's motivating Paul here. God chose, God knew ahead of time, and God still sets out this goal and this prize to which we strive in Christ Jesus. So one of the best and most profound ways you can keep Christ from being the pink bunny suit, one of the best ways you can keep Christmas from being just one day is to remember that God has chosen you. When you start this new year, Make that resolution to remember that God has chosen you. Remembrance is one of the most uh, powerful themes for the Old Testament. Everything the Israelites did was to remember that God was their God. Remember that God has chosen you. Secondly, in our passage, we need to make allowance for each other's faults. In life, people are going to hurt you emotionally, relationally, and you are going to hurt other people emotionally and relationally. No, that's not the way it should be. No, that's not what we seek to do, obviously, but it's going to happen. People are going to sin against you. And the call from God one of the deepest marks of Christian discipleship is the desire and the willingness to forgive. That's one of the hardest things to do. And yet for Jesus, this is not theological gymnastics. For Jesus, our willingness to forgive others and our openness to experiencing the forgiveness of God are inseparable. The degree to which we're willing to forgive others is the degree to which we are allowing God to forgive us or not. Jesus puts it this way. He told a story in Matthew 18. And I'm going to modern the story up just a little bit. Jesus said there was a king. He calls one of his servants in and says, look, you owe me like a million dollars. It's time to pay up. The man falls on his knees. I can't pay it. 
please have mercy. Can you find it in your heart to forgive this debt? The king says, you know what? I'm a king. I don't need the money. It's forgiven. Go live life. Be well. The man's ecstatic. He jumps up. He runs out. He goes out into the street and he sees a guy across the street who owes him 10 bucks. He runs over to the guy, grabs him by the shirt collars, demands his $10. And the guy says, look, I'm sorry, I can't pay it. Can you forgive me? And the guy says, absolutely not. You're going to go to prison until you pay me every penny you owe. Well, the king hears about this and he's livid. And he calls the guy back in. He says, wait a minute. I forgave you a million dollar debt and you're going to hold this guy's feet to the fire for 10 bucks. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to let him out. Now I am going to put you in prison until you pay every single penny you owe. Here's the point of the story. And this is hard for us to swallow. Whatever offenses other people have committed against us, and yes, they're painful. No one is disputing that. No one's diminishing the pain and the harm it's caused. But the offenses others have committed against us pale in comparison to the offenses we have committed against a holy God. And if God doesn't hold our offenses to him against us, then friends, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from someone else. That's that's what our passage said. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. So basically, here's here's the deal. When you want to start making a list of sins other people have committed against you, go ahead and keep a list of the sins you've committed against God. And I got to tell you, that's not a list I want to keep. That's not a game I want to start playing. I don't want God to start handing out what people deserve because I know what I good and well deserve and I don't want it. So one of the ways, one of the deepest and most difficult ways to really let Christmas change us is to be willing to forgive. It's hard. I get it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. So as I said, salvation begins with God. But there's very much a point where God puts the ball in our court. And our willingness to forgive is our choice. It doesn't mean we allow people to continue to harm us. It doesn't mean we allow ourselves or our loved ones to be in dangerous situations. Forgiveness basically means we stop dwelling and we stop holding it over someone's head. We have to move forward. We have to be willing to forgive because God forgave us. Final step, and this is at the end of our passage. We need to let the message of Christ fill our lives. You know, the very name of our faith says it all. Christianity, the name of the holiday that we are celebrating, Christmas. You know, again, in the early church, when the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, followers of the way they called themselves, were, were going about doing their business, they, they, they were going about living as people of God, 
there was a derogatory slang term that was developed for them. They called them little Christs. Look at them all acting like they're Christ, a bunch of little Christs. Well, the word for that, for little Christs, is Christians. The name stuck. The idea of being a Christian is not about gathering information. I read this quote recently. A student wants to get all the information their teacher has. A disciple wants to become their teacher. And there is such a difference. We're not called to be students of Christ. We're called to be disciples. There's a big difference in learning all you can about someone and having a life-changing relationship with someone. So our goal is to let the message of Christ and let the relationship that we have with Christ engulf us. And how do we do that? You know, we have an incredible knack as human beings for overcomplicating things. We make things way more complex than they need to be. The formula for living a deep and rich Christian life is the same as it was for John Wesley. It's the same as it was for the early disciples. It's the same as it's always been. And I'm going to give you four quick ways this new year you can do this. And you've heard them before and you know them, but we all need to be reminded. First, set aside daily time for scripture reading and prayer. If you don't have a Bible plan, get your cell phone, get the YouVersion Bible app, start any of the thousands of Bible plans. Or as Becky said, go pick up one of the essential Jesus reading plans and start reading along with your church. Read and study the scriptures each and every day. Secondly, along with that, pray. And can I encourage you to try something? When you pray daily, try to do as much or more listening as you do talking. And, and I get it, life gets hectic, schedules get busy, and you got to pray on the drive or pray during this. But try setting aside intentional, specific time to pray. Because look at it this way. If your spouse only ever sat and talked to you while they were also grading papers, while they're also doing dishes, while they're also working in the shop, how significant of a relationship would that be? Set aside specific intentional time daily for scripture reading and prayer. Second step, and boy, am I ever preaching to the choir. Make church attendance and participation a priority. You will never be as full of a Christian as you can be if you are not participating with other believers. Now, I get it. Some of us have health limitations. We have reasons that we have to participate digitally. I understand that. Participate in the way and the fullness that you can. But in our culture... Everything has become a reason to miss church. And friend, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, can I just be brutally honest? Church should be the reason to miss everything else, not the other way around. We need to be part. And, and again, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Thank you for being here. You need the body of Christ. And I need the body of Christ. And we need to worship together. Third, you need to connect to a small group ministry. 
If you don't have a Sunday school or a Wednesday morning men's group or the choir or some other group where you pray and you study and you learn and you grow and you support and hold one another accountable, if you don't have that, you are missing a richness and a depth of the Christian life. If you don't have one and you want one, you come see me at the end of the service, you give us a call in the church office, we will get you connected. And finally, the, the, the final way to let the message of Christ fill your life, you need to engage in acts of service to your church and through your church. I have to say this plainly as well. As you're progressing in your Christian life, if you do not at some point begin serving other people, you're going to hit a hard ceiling. Because you are never more like Jesus Christ. You are never more of a disciple when you are doing two things. When you are praying and when you are serving other people. One of the final commandments Jesus gave his disciples, he washed their feet and he said, now you go and do the same thing. And he didn't mean literally the act of foot washing. He meant the act of serving. Marie's right there and she will plug you in to numerous ways that you can serve through the church. Becky's right up there. She can plug you into ways you can serve to the church. But friends, if you are finding your Christian relationship just a little bit stale, try serving. You will find a whole new world of depth and fullness in Christ that you have not before experienced. So again, Christmas is not just a day. It's a season. It's not a one and done. Christmas doesn't end when the leftovers are pulled out of the fridge, when the lights come down and the tree goes up. Christmas should change us. Christmas should stay with us. And clothing ourselves with Christ should be our daily goal, not once or twice a year, not only when Aunt Clara comes to visit. In other words, not only at Christmas time or Easter, not only on Sunday or Wednesday evening. It should envelop our entire life. And we can make that a reality by remembering that God has chosen us, by making allowance for others' faults, remembering how much God has forgiven us so we can forgive others. And finally, by taking those intentional steps to let the message and the presence of Christ dwell richly within our lives. With that, may I say Merry Christmas and ask you to bow your head with me in prayer. God, we are grateful for Christmas. Lord, forgive us if we ever let it become anything other than what it is supposed to be. Forgive us for doing all this and celebrating and then walking in unforgiveness. Forgive us for celebrating with our family and turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the world in desperate need around us. Forgive us for only praying to you when we need you and not seeking that relationship each and every day. But Lord, help us remember it is not fear of punishment that we need to be motivated by. It is your great love for us because that is the heart of Christmas. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.